Conan and Friends, a fantasy pulp fiction audiobook podcast. Voice characterizations and sound design by Audiodrama.ai. Conan by Robert E. Howard. Episode 26. Red Nails. Part 4. Chapter 5. Two warriors lounged in the guardroom on the floor known as the Tear of the Eagle. Their attitude was casual, though habitually alert. An attack on the great bronze door from without was always a possibility, but for many years no such assault had been attempted on either side. The strangers are strong allies, said one. Olmec will move against the enemy tomorrow, I believe. He spoke as a soldier in a war might have spoken. In the miniature world of Sochil, each handful of feudists was an army, and the empty halls between the castles was the country over which they campaigned. The other meditated for a space. Suppose with their aid we destroy Shortalank, he said. What then, Shatmek? Why, returned Shatmek, we will drive red nails for them all. The captives we will burn and flay in quarter. But afterward, pursued the other, after we have slain them all, will it not seem strange to have no foe to fight? All my life I have fought and hated the Shotalankas, with the feud ended what is left. Shapmik shrugged his shoulders. His thoughts had never gone beyond the destruction of their foes. They could not go beyond that. Suddenly both men stiffened at a noise outside the door. To the door, Shatmek, guessed the last speaker. I shall look through the eye. Shatmek, sword in hand, leaned against the bronze door, straining his ear to hear through the metal. His mate looked into the mirror. He started convulsively. Men were clustered thickly outside the door. Grim, dark-faced men with swords gripped in their teeth and their fingers thrust into their ears. One who wore a feathered headdress had a set of pipes which he set to his lips, and even as the Tukultlis started to shout a warning, the pipes began to skirl. The cry died in the guard's throat as the thin, weird piping penetrated the metal door and smote on his ears. Shatmek leaned frozen against the door as if paralyzed in that position. His face was that of a wooden image, his expression one of horrified listening. The other guard, farther removed from the source of the sound, yet sensed the horror of what was taking place, the grisly threat that lay in that demoniac fifing. He felt the weird strains plucking like unseen fingers at the tissues of his brain, filling him with alien emotions and impulses of madness. But with a soul-tearing effort, he broke the spell and shrieked a warning in a voice he did not recognize as his own. But even as he cried out, the music changed to an unbearable shrilling that was like a knife in the eardrums. Chatmek screamed in sudden agony, and all the sanity went out of his face like a flame blown out in a wind. Like a madman, he ripped loose the chain, tore open the door and rushed out into the hall, sword lifted before his mate could stop him. A dozen blades struck him down, and over his mangled body, the Shotalankas surged into the guardroom with a long-drawn, blood-mad yell that sent the unwanted echoes reverberating. His brain reeling from the shock of it all, the remaining guard leapt to meet them with goring spear. The horror of the sorcery he had just witnessed was submerged in the stunning realization that the enemy were in Takudli, and as his spearhead ripped through a dark-skinned belly, he knew no more, for a swinging sword crushed his skull, even as wild-eyed warriors came pouring in from the chambers behind the guardroom. It was the yelling of men and the clanging of steel that brought Conan bounding from his couch, wide awake and broadsword in hand. In an instant, he had reached the door and flung it open, and was glaring out into the corridor just as Takutl rushed up it, eyes blazing madly. The Shotalankas, he screamed, in a voice hardly human. They are within the door. Conan ran down the corridor, even as Valeria emerged from her chamber. What the devil is it? she called. Takutl says the Shotalankas are in, he answered hurriedly. That racket sounds like it. With the Tukutli on their heels, they burst into the throne room and were confronted by a scene beyond the most frantic dream of blood and fury. Twenty men and women, their black hair streaming and the white skulls gleaming on their breasts, were locked in combat with the people of Tukutli. 
The women on both sides fought as madly as the men, and already the room and the hall beyond were strewn with corpses. Olmec, naked but for a breech clout, was fighting before his throne, and as the adventurers entered, Tassler ran from an inner chamber with a sword in her hand. Shatmec and his mate were dead, so there was none to tell the Takutli how their foes had found their way into their citadel, nor was there any to say what had prompted that mad attempt. But the losses of the Shotalankas had been greater, their position more desperate than the Takutli had known. The maiming of their scaly ally, the destruction of the burning skull and the news, gasped by a dying man, that mysterious white-skin allies had joined their enemies, had driven them to the frenzy of desperation and the wild determination to die, dealing death to their ancient foes. The Takutli, recovering from the first stunning shock of the surprise that had swept them back into the throne room and littered the floor with their corpses, fought back with an equally desperate fury, while the door guards from the lower floors came racing to hurl themselves into the fray. It was the death fight of rabid wolves, blind, panting, merciless. Back and forth it surged, from door to dais, blades wickering and striking into flesh, blood spurting, feet stamping the crimson floor where redder pools were forming. Ivory tables crashed over, seats were splintered, velvet hangings torn down were stained red. It was the bloody climax of a bloody half-century, and every man there sensed it. But the conclusion was inevitable. The Takutli outnumbered the invaders almost two to one, and they were heartened by that fact, and by the entrance into the melee of their light-skinned allies. These crashed into the fray with the devastating effect of a hurricane ploughing through a grove of saplings. In sheer strength, no three Clazitlans were a match for Conan, and in spite of his weight, he was quicker on his feet than any of them. He moved through the whirling, eddying mass, with the surety and destructiveness of a grey wolf amidst a pack of alley curs, and he strode over a wake of crumpled figures. Valeria fought beside him, her lips smiling and her eyes blazing. She was stronger than the average man, and far quicker and more ferocious. A sword was like a living thing in her hand. Where Conan beat down opposition by the sheer weight and power of his blows, breaking spears, Splitting skulls and cleaving bosoms to the breastbone, Valeria brought into action a finesse of swordplay that dazzled and bewildered her antagonists before it slew them. Again and again a warrior, heaving high his heavy blade, found her point in his jugular before he could strike. Conan, towering above the field, strode through the welter, smiting right and left, but Valeria moved like an elusive phantom, constantly shifting and thrusting and slashing as she shifted. Swords missed her again and again as the wielders flailed the empty air and died with her point in their hearts or throats and her mocking laughter in their ears. Neither sex nor condition was considered by the maddened combatants. The five women of the Shotalankas were down with their throats cut before Conan and Valeria entered the fray, and when a man or woman went down under the stamping feet, there was always a knife ready for the helpless throat, or a sandaled foot eager to crush the prostrate skull. From wall to wall, from door to door, rolled the waves of combat, spilling over into adjoining chambers, and presently only Takutli and their white-skinned allies stood upright in the great throne room. The survivors stared bleakly and blankly at each other, like survivors after Judgment Day, or the destruction of the world. On legs wide-braced, hands gripping notched and dripping swords, blood trickling down their arms, they stared at one another across the mangled corpses of friends and foes. They had no breath left to shout, but a bestial mad howling rose from their lips. It was not a human cry of triumph. It was the howling of a rabid wolf pack stalking among the bodies of its victims. Conan caught Valeria's arm and turned her about. You've got a stab in the calf of your leg, he growled. She glanced down for the first time, aware of a stinging in the muscles of her leg. Some dying man on the floor had fleshed his dagger with his last effort. You look like a butcher yourself, she laughed. He shook a red shower from his hands. Not mine. Oh, a scratch here and there. Nothing to bother about, but that calf ought to be bandaged. Ormek came through the litter, looking like a ghoul with his naked massive shoulders splashed with blood, and his black beard dabbled in crimson.
His eyes were red, like the reflection of flame on black water. We have won, he croaked dazedly. The feud is ended. The dogs of Shoulderlank lie dead. Oh, for a captive to flay alive. Yet it is good to look upon their dead faces. Twenty dead dogs. Twenty red nails for the black column. You'd best see to your wounded, grunted Conan, turning away from him. Here, girl, let me see that lay. Wait a minute. She shook him off impatiently. The fire of fighting still burned brightly in her soul. How do we know these are all of them? These might have come on a raid of their own. They would not split the clan on a foray like this, said Olmec, shaking his head and regaining some of his ordinary intelligence. Without his purple robe, the man seemed less like a prince than some repellent beast of prey. I will stake my head upon it that we have slain them all. There were less of them than I dreamed, and they must have been desperate. But how came they into Kutli? Tassila came forward, wiping her sword on her naked thigh, and holding in her other hand an object she had taken from the body of the feathered leader of the Shotalankas. The Pipes of Madness, she said. A warrior tells me that Shatmek opened the door to the Shotalankas and was cut down as they stormed into the guardroom. This warrior came to the guardroom from the inner hall, just in time to see it happen, and to hear the last of a weird strain of music, which froze his very soul. Torkemek used to talk of these pipes, which the Sochidians swore were hidden somewhere in the catacombs, with the bones of the ancient wizard who used them in his lifetime. Somehow, the dogs of Shotalak found them and learned their secret. Somebody ought to go to Shotalak and see if any remain alive, said Conan. I'll go if somebody will guide me. Olmec glanced at the remnants of his people. There were only twenty left alive, and of these several lay groaning on the floor. Tassila was the only one of the Takutli who had escaped without a wound. The princess was untouched, though she had fought as savagely as any. Who will go with Conan to Sholank? asked Olmec. Takutl limped forward. The wound in his thigh had started bleeding afresh, and he had another gash across his ribs. I will go. No, you won't, vetoed Conan. And you're not going either, Valeria. In a little while that leg will be getting stiff. I will go, volunteered a warrior, who was knotting a bandage about a slashed forearm. Very well, Yenath. Go with the Sumerian, and you too, Topple. Olmec indicated another man whose injuries were slight, but first aid to lift the badly wounded on these couches, where we may bandage their hurts. This was done quickly. As they stooped to pick up a woman who had been stunned by a war club, Olmec's beard brushed Topple's ear. Conan thought the prince muttered something to the warrior but he could not be sure. A few moments later, he was leading his companions down the hall. Conan glanced back as he went out the door, at that shambles where the dead lay on the smouldering floor, blood-stained dark limbs knotted in attitudes of fierce muscular effort, dark faces frozen in masks of hate, glassy eyes glaring up at the green fire jewels, which bathed the ghastly scene in a dusky emerald witch-light, among the dead, the living moved aimlessly, like people moving in a trance. Conan heard Olmec call a woman and direct her to bandage Valeria's leg. The pirate followed the woman into an adjoining chamber, already beginning to limp slightly. Warily, the two Takutli led Conan along the hall beyond the bronze door and through chamber after chamber, shimmering in the green fire. They saw no one, heard no sound. After they crossed the great hall, which bisected the city from north to south, their caution was increased by the realization of their nearness to enemy territory. But chambers and halls lay empty to their wary gaze, and they came at last along a broad, dim hallway and halted before a bronze door similar to the eagle door of Takutli. Gingerly they tried it, and it opened it silently under their fingers. Awed, they started into the green-lit chambers beyond. For fifty years, no Takutli had entered those halls, save as a prisoner going to a hideous doom. To go to Shotalank had been the ultimate horror that could befall a man of the western castle. The terror of it had stalked through their dreams since earliest childhood. To Yanath and Topple that bronze door was like the portal of hell. They cringed back, unreasoning horror in their eyes, and Conan pushed past them and strode into Shotalank. Timidly they followed him. 
As each man set foot over the threshold, he stared and glared wildly about him, but only their quick, hurried breathing disturbed the silence. They had come into a square guardroom, like that behind the eagle door of Takutli, and similarly, a hall ran away from it to a broad chamber that was a counterpart of Olmec's throne room. Conan glanced down the hall with its rugs and divans and hangings and stood listening intently. He heard no noise, and the rooms had an empty feel. He did not believe there were any show Talankas left alive in Soshiel. Come on, he muttered and started down the hall. He had not gone far when he was aware that only Yanath was following him. He wheeled back to see Topple standing in an attitude of horror, one arm out as if to fend off some threatening peril, his distended eyes fixed with hypnotic intensity on something protruding from behind a divan. What the devil? Then Conan saw what Topple was staring at, and he felt a faint twitching of the skin between his giant shoulders. A monstrous head protruded from behind the divan, a reptilian head broad as the head of a crocodile, with down-curving fangs that projected over the lower jaw. But there was an unnatural limpness about the thing, and the hideous eyes were glazed. Conan peered behind the couch. It was a great serpent which lay there limp in death, but such a serpent as he had never seen in his wanderings. The reek and chill of the deep black earth were about it, and its color was an indeterminable hue which changed with each new angle from which he surveyed it. A great wound in the neck showed what had caused its death. It is the crawler, whispered Yanath. It's the thing I slashed on the stair, grunted Conan. After it trailed us to the eagle door, it dragged itself here to die. How could the Sholtalankas control such a brute? The Takutli shivered and shook their heads. They brought it up from the black tunnels below the catacombs. They discovered secrets unknown to Takutli. Well, it's dead, and if they'd had any more of them, they'd have brought them along when they came to Takutli. Come on. They crowded close at his heels as he strode down the hall and thrust on the silverwork door at the other end. If we don't find anybody on this floor, he said, we'll descend into the lower floors. We'll explore Shortalank from the roof to the catacombs. If Shortalank is like Takutli, all the rooms and halls in this tier will be lighted. What the devil! They had come into the broad throne chamber, so similar to that one in Takutli. There were the same jade dais and ivory seat the same divans, rugs, and hangings on the walls. No black, red-scarred columns stood behind the throne dais, but evidences of the grim feud were not lacking. Ranged along the wall behind the dais were rows of glass-covered shelves, and on those shelves hundreds of human heads, perfectly preserved, stared at the startled watchers with emotionless eyes, as they had stared for only the gods knew how many months and years. Topol muttered a curse, but Yanath stood silent, the mad light growing in his wide eyes. Conan frowned, knowing that Lazitlan's sanity was hung on a hair trigger. Suddenly Yanath pointed to the ghastly relics with a twitching finger. There is my brother's head, he murmured, and there is my father's younger brother, and there beyond them is my sister's eldest son. Suddenly he began to weep dry-eyed with harsh, loud sobs that shook his frame. He did not take his eyes from the heads. His sobs grew shriller, changed to frightful, high-pitched laughter, and that in turn became an unbearable screaming. Yanath was stark mad. Conan laid a hand on his shoulder, and as if the touch had released all the frenzy in his soul, Yanath screamed and whirled, striking at the Cimmerian with his sword. Conan parried the blow, and Topol tried to catch Yanath's arm. But the madman avoided him, and with froth flying from his lips, he drove his sword deep into Topol's body. Topol sank down with a groan, and Yanath whirled for an instant like a crazy dervish. Then he ran at the shelves and began hacking at the glass with his sword, screeching blasphemously. Conan sprang at him from behind, trying to catch him unaware and disarm him, but the madman wheeled and lunged at him, screaming like a lost soul. Realizing that the warrior was hopelessly insane, the Cimmerian sidestepped, and as the maniac went past, he swung a cut that severed the shoulder bone and breast, and dropped the man dead beside his dying victim. Conan bent over Topple, seeing that the man was at his last gasp. 
it was useless to seek to stanch the blood gushing from the horrible wound. You're done for, Topple grunted Conan. Any word you want to send to your people? Bend closer, gasped Topple, and Conan complied, and an instant later caught the man's wrist as Topple struck at his breast with a dagger. Crom, swore Conan, are you mad too? Ulmic ordered it, gasped the dying man. I know not why. As we lifted the wounded upon the couches, he whispered to me, bidding me to slay you, as we returned to Takutli, and with the name of his clan on his lips, Topple died. Conan scowled down at him in puzzlement. This whole affair had an aspect of lunacy. Was Olmec mad, too? Were all the Takuti madder than he had realized? With a shrug of his shoulders, he strode down the hall and out of the bronze door, leaving the dead Takutli lying before the staring dead eyes of their kinsmen's heads. Conan needed no guide back through the labyrinth they had traversed. His primitive instinct of direction led him unerringly along the route they had come. He traversed it as warily as he had before, his sword in his hand, and his eyes fiercely searching each shadowed nook and corner, for it was his former allies he feared now, not the ghosts of the slain Shotalankas. He had crossed the great hall and entered the chambers beyond, when he heard something moving ahead of him, something which gasped and panted and moved with a strange, floundering, scrambling noise. A moment later, Conan saw a man crawling over the flaming floor toward him, a man whose progress left a broad, bloody smear on the smouldering surface. It was Takutl, and his eyes were already glazing. From a deep gash in his breast, blood gushed steadily between the fingers of his clutching hand. With the other, he clawed and hitched himself along. Conan, he cried chokingly. Conan, Ormek has taken the yellow-haired woman. So that's why he told Topple to kill me, murmured Conan, dropping to his knee beside the man, who his experienced eye told him was dying. Olmec isn't as mad as I thought. Tatootle's groping fingers plucked at Conan's arm. In the cold, loveless, and altogether hideous life of the Tukutli, his admiration and affection for the invaders from the outer world formed a warm human oasis, constituted a tie that connected him with a more natural humanity that was totally lacking in his fellows, whose only emotions were hate, lust, and the urge of sadistic cruelty. I sought to oppose him, gurgled Takutl, blood bubbling frothily to his lips. But he struck me down. He thought he had slain me, but I crawled away. Ah, set, how far I have crawled in my own blood. Beware, Conan. Olmec may have set an ambush for your return. Slay Olmec. He is a beast. Take Valeria and flee. Fear not to traverse the forest. Olmec and Tassela lied about the dragons. They slew each other years ago, all save the strongest. For a dozen years there has been only one dragon. If you have slain him, there is naught in the forest to harm you. He was the god Olmec worshipped, and Olmec fed human sacrifices to him, the very old and the very young bound and hurled from the wall. Hasten! Olmec has taken Valeria to the chamber of the... His head slumped down, and he was dead before it came to rest on the floor. Conan sprang up, his eyes like live coals. So that was Olmec's game, having first used the strangers to destroy his foes. He should have known that something of the sort would be going on in that black, bearded degenerate's mind. The Sumerians started toward Tekhultli with reckless speed. Rapidly, he reckoned the numbers of his former allies. Only twenty-one, counting Olmec, had survived that fiendish battle in the throne room. Three had died since, which left seventeen enemies with which to reckon. In his rage, Conan felt capable of accounting for the whole clan single-handed. But the innate craft of the wilderness rose to guide his berserk rage. He remembered Takutl's warning of an ambush— it was quite probable that the prince would make such provisions on the chance that Tupple might have failed to carry out his order. Olmec would be expecting him to return by the same route he had followed in going to Shotalank. Conan glanced up at a skylight under which he was passing and caught the blurred glimmer of stars. They had not yet begun to pale for dawn. The events of the night had been crowded into a comparatively short space of time. He turned aside from his direct course and descended a winding staircase to the floor below. 
He did not know where the door was to be found that let into the castle on that level, but he knew he could find it. How he was to force the locks, he did not know. He believed that the doors of Takutli would all be locked and bolted, if for no other reason than the habits of half a century, but there was nothing else but to attempt it. Sword in hand, he hurried noiselessly on through a maze of green-lit or shadowy rooms and halls. He knew he must be near to Kutli when a sound brought him up short. He recognized it for what it was, a human being trying to cry out through a stifling gag. It came from somewhere ahead of him and to the left. In those deathly still chambers, a small sound carried a long way. Conan turned aside and went seeking after the sound, which continued to be repeated. Presently he was glaring through a doorway upon a weird scene. In the room into which he was looking, a low rack-like frame of iron lay on the floor, and a giant figure was bound prostrate upon it. His head rested on a bed of iron spikes, which were already crimson-pointed with blood where they had pierced his scalp. A peculiar harness-like contrivance was fastened about his head, though in such a manner that the leather band did not protect his scalp from the spikes. This harness was connected by a slender chain to the mechanism that upheld a huge iron ball, which was suspended above the captive's hairy breast. As long as the man could force himself to remain motionless, the iron ball hung in its place. But when the pain of the iron points caused him to lift his head, the ball lurched downward a few inches. Presently his aching neck muscles would no longer support his head in its unnatural position and it would fall back on the spikes again. It was obvious that eventually the ball would crush him to a pulp, slowly and inexorably. The victim was gagged, and above the gag his great black ox eyes rolled wildly toward the man in the doorway, who stood in silent amazement. The man on the rack was Olmec, Prince of Takutli. Chapter 6 why did you bring me into this chamber to bandage my leg? demanded Valeria. Couldn't you have done it just as well in the throne room? She sat on a couch with her wounded leg extended upon it, and the Takutli woman had just bound it with silk bandages. Valeria's red-stained sword lay on the couch beside her. She frowned as she spoke. The woman had done her task silently and efficiently, but Valeria liked neither the lingering, caressing touch of her slim fingers, nor the expression in her eyes. They have taken the rest of the wounded into the other chambers, answered the woman in the soft speech of the Takutli women, which somehow did not suggest either softness or gentleness in the speakers. A little while before, Valeria had seen this same woman stab a Shotalanka woman through the breast and stamp the eyeballs out of a wounded Shotalanka man. They will be carrying the corpses of the dead down into the catacombs, she added, lest the ghosts escape into the chambers and dwell there. Do you believe in ghosts? asked Valeria. I know the ghost of Tolkomek dwells in the catacombs, she answered with a shiver. Once I saw it as I crouched in a crypt among the bones of a dead queen. It passed by in the form of an ancient man with flowing white beard and locks, and luminous eyes that blazed in the darkness. It was Tolkomek. I saw him living when I was a child, and he was being tortured. Her voice sank to a fearful whisper. Olmec laughs, but I know Tolkemec's ghost dwells in the catacombs. They say it is rats which gnaw the flesh from the bones of the newly dead, but ghosts eat flesh. Who knows but that? She glanced up quickly as a shadow fell across the couch. Valeria looked up to see Olmec gazing down at her. The prince had cleansed his hands, torso, and beard of the blood that had splashed them, but he had not donned his robe, and his great dark-skinned hairless body and limbs renewed the impression of strength bestial in its nature. His deep black eyes burned with a more elemental light, and there was the suggestion of a twitching in the fingers that tugged at his thick blue-black beard. He stared fixedly at the woman, and she rose and glided from the chamber. As she passed through the door, she cast a look over her shoulder at Valeria, a glance full of cynical derision and obscene mockery. She has done a clumsy job, criticized the prince, coming to the divan and bending over the bandage. Let me see. With a quickness amazing in one of his bulk, he snatched her sword and threw it across the chamber. His next move was to catch her in his giant arms. Quick and unexpected as the move was, she almost matched it, for even as he grabbed her, a dirk was in her hand and she stabbed murderously at his throat. 
more by luck than skill he caught her wrist and then began a savage wrestling match. She fought him with fists, feet, knees, teeth and nails, with all the strength of her magnificent body and all the knowledge of hand-to-hand -hand fighting she had acquired in her years of roving and fighting on sea and land. It availed her nothing against his brute strength. She lost her dirk in the first moment of contact, and thereafter found herself powerless to inflict any appreciable pain on her giant attacker. The blaze in his weird black eyes did not alter, and their expression filled her with fury, fanned by the sardonic smile that seemed carved upon his bearded lips. Those eyes and that smile contained all the cruel cynicism that seethes below the surface of a sophisticated and degenerate race, and for the first time in her life, Valeria experienced fear of a man. It was like struggling against some huge elemental force. His iron arms thwarted her efforts with an ease that sent panic racing through her limbs. He seemed impervious to any pain she could inflict. Only once, when she sank her white teeth savagely into his wrist so that the blood started, did he react, and that was to buffet her brutally upon the side of the head with his open hand, so that stars flashed before her eyes and her head rolled on her shoulders. Her shirt had been torn open in the struggle, and with cynical cruelty he rasped his thick beard across her bare breasts, bringing the blood to suffuse the fair skin, and fetching a cry of pain and outraged fury from her. Her convulsive resistance was useless. She was crushed down on a couch, disarmed and panting, her eyes blazing up at him like the eyes of a trapped tigress. A moment later he was hurrying from the chamber, carrying her in his arms. She made no resistance, but the smouldering of her eyes showed that she was unconquered in spirit, at least. She had not cried out. She knew that Conan was not within call, and it did not occur to her that any in Takutli would oppose their prince, but she noticed that Olmec went stealthily, with his head on one side as if listening for sounds of pursuit, and he did not return to the throne chamber. He carried her through a door that stood opposite that through which he had entered, crossed another room and began stealing down a hall. As she became convinced that he feared some opposition to the abduction, she threw back her head and screamed at the top of her lusty voice. She was rewarded by a slap that half-stunned her, and Olmec quickened his pace to a shambling run. But her cry had been echoed, and twisting her head about, Valeria, through the tears and stars that partly blinded her, saw Takutl limping after them. Olmec turned with a snarl, shifting the woman to an uncomfortable and certainly undignified position, under one huge arm, where he held her writhing and kicking vainly, like a child. Olmec, protested Takutl, you cannot be such a dog as to do this thing. She is Conan's woman. She helped us slay the Shotolankers, and... Without a word, Olmec balled his free hand into a huge fist and stretched the wounded warrior senseless at his feet, stooping and hindered not at all by the struggles and imprecations of his captive. He drew Takutl's sword from its sheath and stabbed the warrior in the breast. Then casting aside the weapon, he fled on along the corridor. He did not see a woman's dark face peer cautiously after him from behind a hanging. It vanished, and presently Takutl groaned and stirred, rose dazedly and staggered drunkenly away, calling Conan's name. Olmec hurried on down the corridor and descended a winding ivory staircase. He crossed several corridors and halted at last in a broad chamber whose doors were veiled with heavy tapestries, with one exception, a heavy bronze door similar to the door of the eagle on the upper floor. He was moved to rumble, pointing to it. That is one of the outer doors of Takutli. For the first time in fifty years it is unguarded. We need not guard it now, for Shotalank is no more. Thanks to Conan and me, you bloody rogue, sneered Valeria trembling with fury and the shame of physical coercion. You treacherous dog! Conan will cut your throat for this! Olmec did not bother to voice his belief that Conan's own gullet had already been severed according to his whispered command. He was too utterly cynical to be at all interested in her thoughts or opinions. His flame-lit eyes devoured her dwelling burningly on the generous expanses of clear white flesh, exposed where her shirt and breeches had been torn in the struggle. Forget, Conan, he said thickly. Olmec is lord of Sochil. Shodalank is no more. 
there will be no more fighting. We shall spend our lives in drinking and lovemaking. First let us drink. He seated himself on an ivory table and pulled her down on his knees, like a dark-skinned satyr with a white nymph in his arms. Ignoring her un-nymph-like profanity, he held her helpless with one great arm about her waist, while the other reached across the table and secured a vessel of wine. Drink, he commanded, forcing it to her lips as she writhed her head away. The liquor slopped over, stinging her lips, splashing down on her naked breasts. Your guest does not like your wine, Olmec, spoke a cool, sardonic voice. Olmec stiffened. Fear grew in his flaming eyes. Slowly he swung his great head about and stared at Tassler, who posed negligently in the curtained doorway, one hand on her smooth hip. Valeria twisted herself about in his iron grip, and when she met the burning eyes of Tassler, a chill tingled along her supple spine. New experiences were flooding Valeria's proud soul that night. Recently she had learned to fear a man. Now she knew what it was to fear a woman. Olmec sat motionless, a grey pallor growing under his swarthy skin. Tassler brought her other hand from behind her and displayed a small gold vessel. I feared she would not like your wine, Olmec, purred the princess, so I brought some of mine, some I brought with me long ago from the shores of Lake Zwad. Do you understand, Olmec? Beads of sweat stood out suddenly on Olmec's brow. His muscles relaxed, and Valeria broke away and put the table between them. But though reason told her to dart from the room, some fascination she could not understand held her rigid watching the scene. Tassela came toward the seated prince with a swaying, undulating walk that was mockery in itself. Her voice was soft, slurringly caressing, but her eyes gleamed. Her slim fingers stroked his beard lightly. You are selfish, Olmec she crooned, smiling. You would keep our handsome guest to yourself, though you knew I wished to entertain her. You are much at fault, Olmec. The mask dropped for an instant. Her eyes flashed. Her face was contorted, and with an appalling show of strength, her hand locked convulsively in his beard and tore out a great handful. This evidence of unnatural strength was no more terrifying than the momentary bearing of the hellish fury that raged under her bland exterior. Olmec lurched up with a roar and stood swaying like a bear, his mighty hands clenching and unclenching. Slut, his booming voice filled the room. Witch, she-devil. Takutli should have slain you fifty years ago. Begone. I have endured too much from you. This white-skinned wench is mine. Get hence before I slay you. The princess laughed and dashed the blood-stained strands into his face. Her laughter was less merciful than the ring of flint on steel. Once you spoke otherwise, Olmec, she taunted. Once in your youth, you spoke words of love. I, you were my lover once, years ago, and because you loved me, you slept in my arms beneath the enchanted lotus, and thereby put into my hands the chains that enslaved you. You know you cannot withstand me. You know I have but to gaze into your eyes, with the mystic power a priest of Stygia taught me, long ago, and you are powerless. You remember the night beneath the black lotus that waved above us, stirred by no worldly breeze. You sent again the unearthly perfumes that stole and rose like a cloud about you to enslave you. You cannot fight against me. You are my slave as you were that night, as you shall be so long as you live, Almec of Sochil. Her voice had sunk to a murmur like the rippling of a stream running through starlit darkness. She leaned close to the prince and spread her long, tapering fingers upon his giant breast. His eyes glared. His great hands fell limply to his sides. With a smile of cruel malice, Tassler lifted the vessel and placed it to his lips. Drink, drink. Mechanically, the prince obeyed and instantly the glaze passed from his eyes, and they were flooded with fury, comprehension, and an awful fear. His mouth gaped, but no sound issued. For an instant he reeled on buckling knees, and then fell in a sodden heap on the floor. His fall jolted Valeria out of her paralysis. She turned and sprang toward the door, but with a movement that would have shamed a leaping panther, Tassela was before her. Valeria struck at her with her clenched fist 
and all the power of her supple body behind the blow. It would have stretched a man senseless on the floor, but with a lithe twist of her torso, Tassila avoided the blow and caught the pirate's wrist. The next instant, Valeria's left hand was imprisoned, and, holding her wrists together with one hand, Tassila calmly bound them with a cord she drew from her girdle. Valeria thought she had tasted the ultimate in humiliation already that night, but her shame at being manhandled by Ormek was nothing to the sensations that now shook her supple frame. Valeria had always been inclined to despise the other members of her sex, and it was overwhelming to encounter another woman who could handle her like a child. She scarcely resisted at all when Tasla forced her into a chair and, drawing her bound wrists down between her knees, fastened them to the chair. Casually stepping over Olmec, Tasla walked to the bronze door and shot the bolt and threw it open, revealing a hallway without. Opening upon this hall, she remarked, speaking to her feminine captive for the first time, there is a chamber which in old times was used as a torture room. When we retired into Tukutli, we brought most of the apparatus with us, but there was one piece too heavy to move. It is still in working order. I think it will be quite convenient now. An understanding flame of terror rose in Olmec's eyes. Tassela strode back to him, bent and gripped him by the hair. He's only paralyzed temporarily, she remarked conversationally. He can hear, think and feel. Aye, he can feel very well indeed with which sinister observation she started toward the door, dragging the giant bulk with an ease that made the pirate's eyes dilate. She passed into the hall and moved down it without hesitation, presently disappearing with her captive into a chamber that opened into it and went shortly thereafter issued the clank of iron. Valeria swore softly and tugged vainly, with her legs braced against the chair. The cords that confined her were apparently unbreakable, Tassila presently returned alone. Behind her, a muffled groaning issued from the chamber. She closed the door but did not bolt it. Tassila was beyond the grip of habit, as she was beyond the touch of other human instincts and emotions. Valeria sat dumbly, watching the woman in whose slim hands, the pirate realized, her destiny now rested. Tassila grasped her yellow locks and forced back her head, looking impersonably down into her face but the glitter in her dark eyes was not impersonable. I have chosen you for a great honor, she said. You shall restore the youth of Tassila. Oh, you stare at that. My appearance is that of youth, but through my veins creeps the sluggish chill of approaching age, as I have felt it a thousand times before. I am old, so old I do not remember my childhood, but I was a girl once, and a priest of Stygia loved me and gave me the secret of immortality and youth everlasting. He died then, some said by poison, but I dwelled in my palace by the shores of Lake Zwad, and the passing years touched me not. So at last a king of Stygia desired me, and my people rebelled and brought me to this land. Olmec called me a princess. I am not of royal blood. I am greater than a princess. I am Tasla, whose youth, your own glorious youth, shall restore. Valeria's tongue clove to the roof of her mouth. She sensed here a mystery darker than the degeneracy she had anticipated. The taller woman unbound the Aquilonian's wrists and pulled her to her feet. It was not fear of the dominant strength that lurked in the princess's limbs that made Valeria a helpless, quivering captive in her hands. It was the burning, hypnotic, terrible eyes of Tassila. Chapter 7 well, I'm a Cushite. Conan glared down at the man on the iron rack. What the devil are you doing on that thing? Incoherent sounds issued from behind the gag, and Conan bent and tore it away, evoking a bellow of fear from the captive, for his action caused the iron ball to lurch down until it nearly touched the broad breast. Be careful, for set's sake, begged Olmec. What for? demanded Conan. Do you think I care what happens to you? I only wish I had time to stay here and watch that chunk of iron grind your guts out. But I'm in a hurry. Where's Valeria? Loose me, urged Olmec. I will tell you all. Tell me first. Never, the prince's heavy jaws set stubbornly. All right, Conan seated himself on a nearby bench. I'll find her myself. 
after you've been reduced to a jelly. I believe I can speed up that process by twisting my sword point around in your ear, he added, extending the weapon experimentally. Wait. Words came in a rush from the captive's ashy lips. Vassler took her from me. I've never been anything but a puppet in Tassler's hands. Tassler, snorted Conan and spat. Why? The filthy. No, no, panted Olmec. It's worse than you think. Tassler is old, centuries old. She renews her life and her youth by the sacrifice of beautiful young women. That's one thing that has reduced the clan to its present state. She will draw the essence of Valeria's life into her own body and bloom with fresh vigor and beauty. Are the doors locked? asked Conan, thumbing his sword edge. Aye, but I know a way to get into Takutli. Only Tassler and I know, and she thinks me helpless and you slain. Free me, and I swear I will help you rescue Valeria. Without my help, you cannot win into Takutli, for even if you tortured me into revealing the secret, you couldn't work it. Let me go, and we will steal on Tassler and kill her before she can work magic, before she can fix her eyes on us. A knife thrown from behind will do the work. I should have killed her thus long ago. But I feared that without her to aid us, the Shotalankas would overcome us. She needed my help, too. That's the only reason she let me live this long. Now neither needs the other, and one must die. I swear that when we have slain the witch, you and Valeria shall go free without harm. My people will obey me when Tasla is dead. Conan stooped and cut the ropes that held the prince, and Olmec slid cautiously from under the great ball and rose shaking his head like a bull and muttering imprecations as he fingered his lacerated scalp. Standing shoulder to shoulder, the two men presented a formidable picture of primitive power. Olmec was as tall as Conan and heavier, but there was something repellent about the Tlazitlan, something abysmal and monstrous that contrasted unfavorably with the clean-cut, compact hardness of the Cimmerian. Conan had discarded the remnants of his tattered, blood-soaked shirt and stood with his remarkable muscular development impressively revealed. His great shoulders were as broad as those of Olmec and more cleanly outlined, and his huge breast arched with a more impressive sweep to a hard waist that lacked the paunchy thickness of Olmec's midsection. He might have been an image of primal strength cut out of bronze. Olmec was darker, but not from the burning of the sun, if Conan was a figure out of the dawn of time, Olmec was a shambling, somber shape from the darkness of time's pre-dawn. Lead on, demanded Conan, and keep ahead of me. I don't trust you any farther than I can throw a ball by the tail. Olmec turned and stalked on ahead of him, one hand twitching slightly as it plucked at his matted beard. Olmec did not lead Conan back to the bronze door, which the prince naturally supposed Tassela had locked, but to a certain chamber on the border of Takutli. This secret has been guarded for half a century, he said. Not even our own clan knew of it, and the Shotalenkas never learned. Takutli himself built this secret entrance, afterwards slaying the slaves who did the work. For he feared that he might find himself locked out of his own kingdom some day because of the spite of Tassela, whose passion for him soon changed to hate. But she discovered the secret and barred the hidden door against him one day as he fled back from an unsuccessful raid, and the Shotalankas took him and flayed him. But once, spying upon her, I saw her enter Takuli by this route, and so learned the secret. He pressed upon a gold ornament in the wall, and a panel swung inward, disclosing an ivory stair leading upward. This stair is built within the wall, said Olmec. It leads up to a tower upon the roof and thence other stairs wind down to the various chambers. Hasten! After you, comrade, retorted Conan satirically, swaying his broadsword as he spoke, and Olmec shrugged his shoulders and stepped onto the staircase. Conan instantly followed him, and the door shut behind them. Far above, a cluster of fire jewels made the staircase a well of dusky dragonlight. They mounted until Conan estimated that they were above the level of the fourth floor, and then came out into a cylindrical tower, in the domed roof of which was set the bunch of fire jewels that lighted the stair. Through gold-barred windows, set with unbreakable crystal panes, the first windows he had seen in Sochil, 
Conan got a glimpse of high ridges, domes and more towers looming darkly against the stars. He was looking across the roofs of Sochil. Olmec did not look through the windows. He hurried down one of the several stairs that wound down from the tower, and when they had descended a few feet, the stair changed into a narrow corridor that wound tortuously on for some distance. It ceased at a steep flight of steps leading downward. There Olmec paused. Up from below, muffled but unmistakable, welled a woman's scream edged with fright, fury and shame, and Conan recognized Valeria's voice. In the swift rage roused by that cry, and the amazement of wondering what peril could wring such shriek from Valeria's reckless lips, Conan forgot Omek. He pushed past the prince and started down the stair. Awakening instinct brought him about again, just as Olmec struck with his great mallet-like fist, the blow, fierce and silent, was aimed at the base of Conan's brain, but the Cimmerian wheeled in time to receive the buffet on the side of his neck instead. The impact would have snapped the vertebrae of a lesser man. As it was, Conan swayed backward, but even as he reeled he dropped his sword, useless at such close quarters, and grasped Olmec's extended arm, dragging the prince with him as he fell. Headlong, they went down the steps together in a revolving whirl of limbs and heads and bodies, and as they went, Conan's iron fingers found and locked in Olmec's bull throat. The barbarian's neck and shoulder felt numb from the sledge like impact of Olmec's huge fist, which had carried all the strength of the massive forearm, thick triceps and great shoulder, but this did not affect his ferocity to any appreciable extent. Like a bulldog, he hung on grimly rolled, until at last they struck an ivory panel door at the bottom with such an impact that they splintered it its full length and crashed through its ruins. But Olmec was already dead, for those iron fingers had crushed out his life and broken his neck as they fell. Conan rose, shaking the splinters from his great shoulders, blinking blood and dust out of his eyes. He was in the great throne room. There were fifteen people in that room besides himself. The first person he saw was Valeria. A curious black altar stood before the throne dais. Ranged about it, seven black candles in golden candlesticks sent up oozing spirals of thick green smoke, disturbingly scented. These spirals united in a cloud near the ceiling, forming a smoky arch above the altar. On that altar lay Valeria, stark naked, her white flesh gleaming in shocking contrast to the glistening ebon stone. She was not bound. She lay at full length, her arms stretched out above her head, to their fullest extent. At the head of the altar knelt a young man holding her wrists firmly. A young woman knelt at the other end of the altar, grasping her ankles. Between them she could neither rise nor move. Eleven men and women of Tukutli knelt dumbly in a semicircle, watching the scene with hot, lustful eyes. On the ivory throne seat, Tassela lolled. Bronze bowls of incense rolled their spirals about her. The wisps of smoke curled about her naked limbs like caressing fingers. She could not sit still. She squirmed and shifted about with sensuous abandon, as if finding pleasure in the contact of the smooth ivory with her sleek flesh. The crash of the door as it broke beneath the impact of the hurtling bodies caused no change in the scene. The kneeling men and women merely glanced incuriously at the corpse of their prince and at the man who rose from the ruins of the door, then swung their eyes greedily back to the writhing white shape on the black altar. Tassler looked insolently at him and sprawled back on her seat, laughing mockingly. Slut, Conan saw red. His hands clenched into iron hammers as he started for her. With his first step, something clanged loudly and steel bit savagely into his leg. He stumbled and almost fell, checked in his headlong stride. The jaws of an iron trap had closed on his leg, with teeth that sank deep and held. Only the ridged muscles of his calf saved the bone from being splintered. The accursed thing had sprung out of the smouldering floor without warning. He saw the slots now, in the floor where the jaws had lain, perfectly camouflaged. Fool, laughed Tassler. Did you think I would not guard against your possible return? Every door in this chamber is guarded by such traps. Stand there and watch now, while I fulfill the destiny of your handsome friend. Then I will decide your own. 
Conan's hand instinctively sought his belt, only to encounter an empty scabbard. His sword was on the stair behind him. His poniard was lying back in the forest, where the dragon had torn it from his jaw. The steel teeth in his leg were like burning coals, but the pain was not as savage as the fury that seethed in his soul. He was trapped, like a wolf. If he had had his sword, he would have hewn off his leg and crawled across the floor to slay Tassler. Valeria's eyes rolled toward him with mute appeal, and his own helplessness sent red waves of madness surging through his brain. Dropping on the knee of his free leg, he strove to get his fingers between the jaws of the trap, to tear them apart by sheer strength. Blood started from beneath his fingernails, but the jaws fitted close about his leg in a circle whose segments jointed perfectly, contracted until there was no space between his mangled flesh and the fanged iron. The sight of Valeria's naked body added flame to the fire of his rage. Tassler ignored him. Rising languidly from her seat, she swept the ranks of her subjects with a searching glance and asked, Where are Shamek, Zlanath, and Tachik? They did not return from the catacombs, princess, answered a man. Like the rest of us, they bore bodies of the slain into the crypts, but they have not returned. Perhaps the ghost of Tolkemec took them. Be, silent fool, she ordered harshly. A ghost is a myth. She came down from her dais, playing with a thin, gold-hilted dagger. Her eyes burned like nothing on the hither side of hell. She paused beside the altar and spoke in the tense stillness. Your life shall make me young, white woman, she said. I shall lean upon your bosom and place my lips over yours, and slowly, ah, slowly, sink this blade through your heart, so that your life, fleeing your stiffening body, shall enter mine, making me bloom again with youth and with life everlasting. Slowly, like a serpent arching toward its victim, she bent down through the writhing smoke, closer and closer over the now motionless woman who stared up into her glowing dark eyes. Eyes that grew larger and deeper, blazing like black moons in the swirling smoke. The kneeling people gripped their hands and held their breath, tense for the bloody climax, and the only sound was Conan's fierce panting as he strove to tear his leg from the trap. All eyes were glued on the altar and the white figure there. The crash of a thunderbolt could hardly have broken the spell, yet it was only a low cry that shattered the fixity of the scene and brought all whirling about. A low cry, yet one to make the hair stand up stiffly on the scalp. They looked and they saw. Framed in the door to the left of the dais stood a nightmare figure. It was a man with a tangle of white hair and a matted white beard that fell over his breast. Rags only partly covered his gaunt frame, revealing half-naked limbs, strangely unnatural in appearance. The skin was not like that of a normal human. There was a suggestion of scalliness about it, as if the owner had dwelt long under conditions almost antithetical to those conditions under which human life ordinarily thrives and there was nothing at all human about the eyes that blazed from the tangle of white hair. They were great gleaming discs that started unwinkingly, luminous, whitish, and without a hint of normal emotion or sanity. The mouth gaped, but no coherent words issued, only a high-pitched tittering. Tolkemec, whispered Tassela, livid while the others crouched in speechless horror. No myth, then, no ghost, set. You have dwelt for twelve years in darkness, twelve years among the bones of the dead. What grisly food did you find? What mad travesty of life did you live in the stark blackness of that eternal night? I see now why Shamek and Zlanath and Tachik did not return from the catacombs, and never will return. But why have you waited so long to strike? Were you seeking something in the pits? Some secret weapon you knew was hidden there, and have you found it at last? That hideous tittering was Tolkemec's only reply, as he bounded into the room with a long leap that carried him over the secret trap before the door, by chance, or by some faint recollection of the ways of Sochil. He was not mad, as a man is mad. He had dwelt apart from humanity so long that he was no longer human. Only an unbroken thread of memory embodied in hate and the urge for vengeance had connected him with the humanity from which he had been cut off and held him lurking near the people he hated. 
only that thin string had kept him from racing and prancing off forever into the black corridors and realms of the subterranean world he had discovered long ago. You sought something hidden, whispered Tassela, cringing back, and you have found it. You remember the feud. After all these years of blackness, you remember? For in the lean hand of Tolkemec now waved a curious jade-hued wand, on the end of which glowed a knob of crimson shaped like a pomegranate. She sprang aside as he thrust it out like a spear, and a beam of crimson fire lanced from the pomegranate. It missed Tassela, but the woman holding Valeria's ankles was in the way. It smote between her shoulders. There was a sharp crackling sound, and the ray of fire flashed from her bosom and struck the black altar with a snapping of blue sparks. The woman toppled sidewise, shriveling and withering like a mummy even as she fell. Valeria rolled from the altar on the other side and started for the opposite wall on all fours, for hell had burst loose in the throne room of dead Olmec. The man who had held Valeria's hands was the next to die. He turned to run, but before he had taken half a dozen steps, Kolkomek, with an agility appalling in such a frame, bounded around to a position that placed the man between him and the altar. Again the red fire beam flashed, and the Takutli rolled lifeless to the floor as the beam completed its course with a burst of blue sparks against the altar. Then began the slaughter, screaming insanely, the people rushed about the chamber, caroming from one another, stumbling and falling, and among them Tolkemec capered and pranced, dealing death. They could not escape by the doors, for apparently the metal of the portal served like the metal-veined stone altar to complete the circuit for whatever hellish power flashed like thunderbolts from the witch-wand the ancient waved in his hand. When he caught a man or a woman between him and a door or the altar, that one died instantly. He chose no special victim. He took them as they came, with his rags flapping about his wildly gyrating limbs and the gusty echoes of his tittering sweeping the room above the screams. And bodies fell like falling leaves about the altar and at the doors. One warrior in desperation rushed at him, lifting a dagger, only to fall before he could strike. But the rest were like crazed cattle with no thought for resistance and no chance of escape. The last, Takutli, except Tassela, had fallen when the princess reached the Cimmerian and the girl who had taken refuge beside him. Tassela bent and touched the floor, pressing a design upon it. Instantly the iron jaws released the bleeding limb and sank back into the floor. Slay him if you can, she panted, and pressed a heavy knife into his hand. I have no magic to withstand him. With a grunt, he sprang before the woman not heeding his lacerated leg in the heat of the fighting lust. Tolkemec was coming toward him, his weird eyes ablaze, but he hesitated at the gleam of the knife in Conan's hand. Then began a grim game, as Tolkemec sought to circle about Conan and get the barbarian between him and the altar or a metal door, while Conan sought to avoid this and drive home his knife. The women watched tensely, holding their breath, there was no sound except the rustle and scrape of quick-shifting feet. Tolkemec pranced and capered no more. He realized that grimmer game confronted him than the people who had died screaming and fleeing. In the elemental blaze of the barbarian's eye, he read an intent deadly as his own. Back and forth they weaved, and when one moved, the other moved as if invisible threads bound them together. But all the time, Conan was getting closer and closer to his enemy. Already the coiled muscles of his thighs were beginning to flex for a spring, when Valeria cried out. For a fleeting instant a bronze door was in line with Conan's moving body. The red line leapt, searing Conan's flank as he twisted aside. And even as he shifted, he hurled the knife. Old Tolkemec went down, truly slain at last, the hilt vibrating on his breast. Tassela sprang, not toward Conan, but toward the wand where it shimmered like a live thing on the floor. But as she leapt, so did Valeria, with a dagger snatched from a dead man, and the blade, driven with all the power of the pirate's muscles, impaled the princess of Takutli so that the point stood out between her breasts. Tassila screamed once and fell dead, and Valeria spurned the body with her heel as it fell. I had to do that much, for my own self-respect, panted Valeria, facing Conan across the limp corpse. 
Well, this cleans up the feud, he grunted. It's been a hell of a night. Where did these people keep their food? I'm hungry. You need a bandage on that leg. Valeria ripped a length of silk from a hanging and knotted it about her waist, then tore off some smaller strips which she bound efficiently about the barbarian's lacerated limb. I can walk on it, he assured her. Let's be gone. It's dawn outside this infernal city. I've had enough of Sochil. It's well the breed exterminated itself. I don't want any of their accursed jewels. They might be haunted. There is enough clean loot in the world for you and me, she said, straightening to stand tall and splendid before him. The old blaze came back in his eyes, and this time she did not resist as he caught her fiercely in his arms. It's a long way to the coast, she said presently, withdrawing her lips from his. What matter, he laughed. There's nothing we can't conquer. We'll have our feet on a ship's deck before the Stygians open their ports for the trading season. And then we'll show the world what plundering means. Thank you for listening. Conan and Friends is an In Shambles production. 